Um, we're going to be reading a few books, but I'm going to be reading Genesis 1, 1, verse 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without, was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. All right, I'll be reading Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a, there came a sound from heaven as of, a, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I'll be finishing up reading, we'll be reading Romans 8, verses 1 through 17. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, The body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit... And put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. You may be seated. Would you join me as we pray? God, we thank you for bringing us here this morning. We thank you for who you are. And we thank you for your son, Jesus, our righteous judge the way to everlasting life. 
our sin bearer, the one who calls his church to unity for your namesake, our Savior, the hope of this world. Lord, I thank you as well this morning for your promised Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead. As we look to your word today, pray that you would reveal to us what you would have us know about him. But Lord, I pray that we don't just know about him. I pray that we come to live in him, walk in him, pray in him. That we experience the power of the Holy Spirit in our own lives. I pray that this body of believers would come to know with great regularity the presence and the power of your Spirit. So Lord, we pray that you give us ears to hear, that you would open our eyes that we might see, and then Lord, as we leave this place, that you would open our mouths that we would speak. We sang about that this morning, and we know that that is one of the roles and ministries of the Holy Spirit to move in us in such a way that our ears are opened, our eyes are opened, our mouths are open to speak the very things of God. Father, I pray you would make us a people fit for heaven, even while we sojourn here, but for time on earth. Have your way in us, Lord. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, over these last couple weeks, we've been dealing with a question. It's a question we're going to get very familiar with over the next few weeks. What does God have to say about? And two weeks ago, we inserted God, right? What does he have to say about himself? Then we made the comment there that God has all right, all authority to say what he wants to say about himself. And last week we talked about, what does God have to say about Jesus, his son? What's he have to say about his son? Today, we insert the Holy Spirit. What does God have to say about the Holy Spirit? As we work through this today, I I hope that we don't just glean factual information That's not the point of what we're doing here over these eight weeks. The the hope is that we come to understand what God has to say in his word. Yes, about himself, about his son, about the Holy Spirit, and about these other things we'll be speaking to in the weeks ahead. But it's not data collection. The idea is that we know what he has to say and that we then live and walk and move because he has told us who he is. And he's given us instruction on how to live. And therefore, there ought to be something life-transforming that happens as we come to understand these truths about who he is and what he's called us to. Knowing what we believe and why we believe these things. This is the third of of eight messages. We're working through what we believe as a church. 
Pretty important to know what we believe. And the series of messages is grounded on the truths of God's holy word. Our, our statement of faith, which if you have not read, perhaps it would be a great opportunity for you at some point soon to go online. You can see it online, statement of faith, what we believe. There's some tabs there. You can just click on the tabs. It'll tell you what we believe, but it's not going to just be words. I want to encourage you as you read it to have your Bible open before you. Perhaps add some scriptures of your own that come to mind as you're reading. The statement of faith and hope in Christ, each line, statement of what we believe is attached to scripture. And that's on purpose. We set out as elders to, to write a document that could be traced to God's word. So that when people want to know what we believe... It's our hope then they can turn to the Bible to be able to find that answer. That we're not just speaking out of the well of our own human wisdom, but we are stating things to be true because God has spoken them to be true. And God's word, as we'll see next week, is foundational truth for us to stand on. That's where we'll go next week. We'll speak to the authority of the scriptures and how important the scriptures are in our lives. Well, the first six messages this year spoke to who we are as a church, what the church is intended to be doing in these days here on earth. And this particular series that we're in right now, it, it takes the, the who we are, and it sets it in a proper biblical framework. Right? Sets it in a framework. And I want us to see that what we're called to as a church has everything to do with who God is, who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is. Those are ones we got to get right. We, we, we've got to be really clear on those three in particular. I want you to see that Christian behavior is predicated upon Christian belief. If we're going to behave like a follower of Jesus... It's imperative, friends, that we know what we believe and that the what we believe comes from the well of God's truth, not from man's best wisdom. So what does God have to say in his word about the Holy Spirit? I want to take you back some 2,000 years ago now to, to the days leading up to the arrival of the Holy Spirit. 2,000 years ago, Jesus spends a great deal of time previewing the Holy Spirit's arrival, describing His character and describing His nature, pointing toward His mighty work yet to come. Jesus dies on the cross. You remember the story. You remember the good news of the gospel. I'll review it just in brief. He dies on the cross. He's buried and he's raised on the third day according to the scriptures. He spends 40 days on earth following his resurrection, teaching about the kingdom of God. I didn't make it up. It's in Acts chapter 1 verse 3. That's how he spent those 40 days. He was teaching his followers about the kingdom of God. That's what he was doing. And then he ascends back 
to the Father in heaven. The followers of Jesus, they convene together in an upper room. You remember that in Acts chapter 1. And it's there that they pray and wait. They pray and they wait. Now for 10 days, if we do the math, Pentecost was 50 days following Passover. And Jesus was around 40 of those days. That leaves us with, I'm not very good at math, but I think I can do this one. 50 minus 40 leaves me with 10. And so for about 10 days, they're waiting and they're praying. They're waiting and they're praying. What are they praying about? And what are they waiting for? Well, Acts chapter 1 verse 5 tells us, it says, And being assembled together with them, he, that's Jesus, he commanded them, this is before he ascends, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. Not to depart, but to wait. Wait for what? Wait for the promise of the Father. Which, he said, you have heard from me. In other words, I've already talked to you about this. For John, that'd be John the Baptist. John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. It's coming, Jesus says. That time's coming. Praying and waiting for the Spirit of God to come down. Church, I want you to imagine this morning what it must have been like to be on the front end of the Spirit's arrival. I spent some time thinking about that this week. It's like, wow. I don't know. I mean, think about what they were thinking. I envision at some point in that upper room conversation and prayer, the disciples returned to the lengthy tutorial from the Lord. What lengthy tutorial are you talking about? John 14, 15, and 16. Right before he goes to the cross. He spends a lot of time telling his followers about this other counselor who's coming. And in those hours before the cross, he delivers to them, he briefs them on this other counselor. This this helper who's not just going to walk around town with them, ministering to the needs of the people. No, this counselor, he says, there's going to be one coming who's deemed the spirit of truth. And he's, listen guys, he says, he's going to abide in you. He's going to be in you. And he's going to be in you as you serve as witnesses to me the remainder of your days. You know, praying and waiting in that upper room, they would have recalled Jesus' words about this Holy Spirit to come, that he would have a major teaching role. Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as a teacher. And they would have been reminded in that upper room, I believe, over the course of those 10 days of the praying and waiting, that this Holy Spirit was going to be one to teach them. He was going to teach them, always pointing them to the words of Jesus. John 14, 26. 
He was going to be one. The spirit who's coming, Jesus said, is always going to testify of me. John 15, 26. His role in you, Jesus says, will be to glorify me. That's the spirit's role in you guys. I want you to understand this. John 16, 14. Praying and waiting. I believe they would have remembered those words of Jesus in John 16, 7. When Jesus says, if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And so here they are. Imagine, here they are in the upper room. They're praying and they're waiting. And Jesus now has departed. They're remembering his words. The Spirit's not going to come until I depart. Well, Jesus has departed. I'm sure they're reminded of these very words. The spirit of promise is almost here. Wonder, anticipation, hesitancy, unfamiliarity. This other comforter is going to reside in me. He's going to tell me things to come. How is he going to teach me all things? And how will his arrival make a difference in the midst of Jesus? Jesus is leaving. How is the Spirit coming going to make a difference? Another helper. How exactly will he help me in the midst of such persecution that seems to be going on right now? Questions. In the midst of the waiting in the midst of the praying, I'm sure there were loads of questions. I I want you to note something, that, that the Holy Spirit, who is about to come in Acts 2, is the same Spirit on the scene in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form. And void and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Same Holy Spirit we're talking about here. The Spirit of God who is about to be sent by the Father and Son. They they, they tag team the delivery of the Spirit. I want you to know that God has to say this about His Spirit, that that this Spirit we're speaking of in the Scripture, He's an everlasting Spirit. He's been around from the beginning, just like God the Father, just like Jesus the Son. The Spirit was there in Genesis 1, just like God the Father, just like God the Son. You read the Old Testament. Those of you in your 90-day journey, find yourself right now closing in the end of Jeremiah, right? How many of you are still there? 90-day journey. Anybody still there? Okay, good. A few of you, a few hands. Excellent. You read the Old Testament. You see the Spirit of God coming upon people, don't you? You read the, the Spirit coming upon them. 
And how does the Spirit oftentimes manifest Himself when He comes upon them? You know what I oftentimes think of in the Old Testament when I think of the Spirit coming upon someone? I think of them coming upon them in power. In power, with might, in strength. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Judges 6.34. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon Samson. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson. And he came upon Samson about three times, four times in Judges 13 through 16. And oftentimes when he comes upon Samson in power, it's its power. He's killing somebody, destroying something. The power of God is at work in his life. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that time forward. Samuel 16, 13 says. And in one chapter later in Samuel 17, that familiar battle, David and Goliath. David defeats the champion from Gath, not just with the stone and the slingshot, but I'm convinced that one of the things that defeated, one of the primary things that defeated Goliath that day was the Spirit of God in David. The Spirit of God moved power upon David. The arrival of God the Son declared God himself, right? John 1.18 but the arrival of the Son taught the people about what was to come in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, you see, is witnessed coming upon Jesus even at his baptism. You remember that? The Holy Spirit coming upon Jesus. The Holy Spirit who dwells with you, Jesus says, will be in you. Jesus tells his followers that in John 14, 17. The Spirit will be in you. You turn to Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost has fully come. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven. Where did it come from? Heaven. As of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Remember, they've been praying and waiting for about 10 days. The day has come. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You see, those who had gathered in Jerusalem for Pentecost, they heard the sound. They took note of what was happening. Amazement filled Jerusalem. The arrival of a divine wind had caught the attention of the nations that had gathered for the feast. And some thought these men in the house had sipped a little bit too much wine. Remember that? Some thought these guys were drunk. And Peter stands up and he says, no, 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 no. That's not it at all. He stands to testify, and when he testifies, what does he do? He does the very thing every single one of us in Christ ought to also do. And that is testify by pointing to the very words of God. He points to Joel. Hey, this is what Joel the prophet said. Don't you remember what Joel said? I'm going to pour out my spirit. I'm going to pour out my spirit. Spirit on all flesh. The day of the promised Holy Spirit has come. That's what Peter's announcing. It's come. It's been promised. He has come. Do you catch the fervency surrounding the arrival of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2? I mean, do you sense this interruption, if you will, in the status quo of the day? When you get to Acts 2, there is something that just totally interrupts the scene. 
And it's quite refreshing, I might add. It's wonderful. We need to be reminded of what happened in Acts 2. We need, a, we need a little reminder, we need a little shake up on what God did when he poured out his spirit in Acts chapter 2. Power, fire, life, breath, light, all these describe the person of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, you remember while having this conversation with Nicodemus, he describes the Holy Spirit's movement as wind. Remember that in John chapter 3? It's similar to what we see in the arrival here of Acts 2. In, in John 3, verse 8, Jesus is instructing the teacher, Nicodemus. And he says, the wind blows where it wishes. And you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Isn't that interesting? So the wind... You feel the effect of it, don't you? In the last couple days, you've probably felt the wind. It's been pretty strong the last couple days. You feel it coming and hitting you on the left side of your cheek. And you see and you know as you look at the trees, you see the wind is moving that direction. You can't see where it came from over here. All you know is it's smacking you right here. And it's going that way. But you know without a doubt, you feel the effect of it. Amen? You feel it. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit, Jesus is teaching. Just a few chapters later in John, in chapter 7, you might remember Jesus stands, and he's standing to speak. And he says, he who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, he, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That's sort of an odd statement, isn't it? I'm sure to those in that day, it was an odd statement. We, we know, we, and John even tells us, he gives us a little bit of the background. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit. And those whom those believing in him would receive. That's Acts 2, right? For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. In John 7, Jesus is still on earth. In Acts 2, Jesus has died. He's been buried. He's been raised. He's ascended. And now the Spirit has come. These pictures in the scripture of wind, rivers of living water. Notice, rivers of living water. That's a key word, living. How many of you ever seen a pond that's just stagnant? Just, that's, it's, just, it's not very appealing to look at, is it? As opposed to, have you ever driven by a, a, a creek and you've seen a waterfall? And just, just the water flowing and it's moving. That seems to be more of the description of the Holy Spirit. Flowing in us. Think about that. What's that look like? What ought it look like in one who's following Jesus? Fire is accompanied by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes on the scene with power. His presence, listen, his presence is unmistakable. That, that ought to cue us in for just a moment. We read Acts 2 and we recognize the presence and power of the Spirit's arrival, but it causes me, as I look at this, as I read it, it causes me to wonder 
What happened to the presence and power of the Holy Spirit? What happened? And, and when I say what happened, I'm not saying it in regard to anything the Spirit has done or not done. Why is there so little presence of the Spirit filling our lives each day? Why are there so few Christian marriages exhibiting the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives together? Why is it that the church has experienced so little of His power? These are some questions that are coming as I think about Acts 2. The unmistakable presence of the Spirit. There's no doubt that the people caught something happening out of the ordinary on this day. And if we just fast forward to the end of the chapter, what happens? 3,000 come to saving faith that day. You're, you're right, something different happened that day. If the arrival of the Holy Spirit captured the full attention of those gathered in Acts 2, why is it that the church today seems, seems disinterested or distracted as it pertains to the Holy Spirit? I, I, I think it's important we put this forward we, the church, we're living on the other side of Acts 2. Everybody understand that? We're on the other side of Acts 2. The disciples, as they were waiting and praying, they were in that upper room and they were on the front end of the Spirit's arrival. We're on the other end. We are living in what Paul says to Timothy, these last days, right? The last days. Perilous days. Days that desperately need a filling of the Holy Spirit to wash over the church that the world might see. Jesus Christ living today. The Spirit has already come. He opens our understanding. He illumines our minds. He grants us insight into the things of God. Listen, when you open your Bible to read, the Holy Spirit is the one who allows you to discern and understand what you're reading. See, these things are spiritually discerned. Paul says there are two kinds of people, right? There's the natural and the spiritual. And the natural man cannot understand the things of the spirit, for they are spiritually discerned. He speaks to us through his word. We need to remember that the Holy Spirit, another aspect, role, ministry of the Holy Spirit, he is the author of the scriptures. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. I didn't make it up. He really is. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, it says, Prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke. Listen how they spoke. They spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. I love the description. They spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The human authors who contributed to the scriptures, they wrote not from the well of their own good opinions, but were moved to write by the Holy Spirit. They were moved to write. Listen, I want us to get something this morning about the Holy Spirit. What's God have to say about the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is in the moving business. Anyone here ever have a company? You know, you're moving. 
and you just have a company come in and, and do it all. There's companies out there that come in and they'll pack all your stuff. I know a lot of us here is like, no way you're touching my stuff. You're not coming and touching my stuff. Some of us might box it all up and then have them move it in their truck, right? We're familiar with some of the moving companies. They're in business to move you. Well, the Holy Spirit not only moved these holy men to write the words in the scriptures, but the Holy Spirit desires to move each of you as well. Now, there's some of us in here who don't relish the thought of moving anywhere. We don't like the thought of moving. Movement in general is not something that we like. It's not appealing to some here. You like to stay put. You're not much for exercise, perhaps. You, you just like to stay put. You like familiarity. You like to have things a certain way. You enjoy routine. You're a creature of habit. Any of these things sound familiar to you? Yeah. What happens, though, when the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you? And starts to speak of things in your life that need to change. What happens when the Holy Spirit touches on some compartments of your life that aren't so holy? Think about it. He's the Holy Spirit. Do you think he's going to reside in you and be okay with you living an unholy, ungodly Life. No, he's not. So what do you do when he takes up residence in you and he's putting his finger on this and he's putting his finger on that and he's putting his finger on this. Oh, this too, this too. How do you handle that? Are you going to cling to that blanket of familiarity? Or are you going to move where the Holy Spirit is leading you? You know, I was reminded of this, uh, this familiar place, this, this comfort. Uh, we have a young lady in our home who, who really especially enjoys a blanket of hers. There's something about this blanket. This blanket has a tag. In fact, she so calls it a tag blanket. I have my tag blanket. Now, it's not so bad when a little one desires comfort from a blanket, but what happens when that little one becomes a teenager and they're still clinging to their blanket of familiarity? Worse yet, what would you think of the adult who still clutches for his blanket of familiarity? You would suspect there's something not quite right about that person who's just clinging to this, clutching this, wanting and desiring this Familiar blankets, whatever it might be. Remember, the Holy Spirit is directing you toward holiness. He's directing you toward holiness. What's he say about the Spirit? One of the things the Spirit does, he's directing us toward holiness. He's pointing you toward Jesus, friends. He's teaching you to live in such a way that reflects the very image of Jesus. He's guiding you down a path that's always true. He's called, in fact, in the scripture, the spirit of truth. He's always going to lead you in a path of truth. 
Isn't that, isn't that wonderful to know that? It's comforting to know that. Wherever he might lead, it might be scary, might be a little frightening. He might touch on some things in my life, some points of familiarity. And he's saying, hey, get out of that and move with me, please, to where I want you to go. I have some work for you to do. I have someone I need you to speak to about Jesus. The Spirit, according to the Bible, never speaks on his own accord, but he gets his cues from Christ himself. When the Spirit shows up in your life, you are now under new management. You're under new management. The old is gone. The new has come. 2 Corinthians 5, right? A relationship with God through Jesus Christ, we talked about that January 1, brings with it a full-time internship of the Holy Spirit. Full-time. He's full-time in you. That's God's gift to you, by the way. He's not going anywhere. And his objective is to make you holy like Jesus. Know that he is about directing you in paths of righteousness for the sake of Jesus. Listen, the Holy Spirit is God. Can we make that clear? What's God have to say about the Spirit? God has to say this about the Spirit. The Spirit is God. It's like the Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God. How do I know that? I'm not making it up. Acts chapter 5. If you read the first few verses of Acts 5, one of the first discipline aspects in the church, Ananias and Sapphira, right? They got together to conspire a plot to cheat the church and get ahead. It's a song. It's got catchy lyrics to it. And they withheld some money. Remember that? And you remember what happens. Peter addresses and says, hey, why have you lied to God? And a few verses later references the lying to whom? To the Holy Spirit. Why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is God. Let's be clear. Again, thinking about what we believe. He's not a force. Some of you like to watch a lot of movies. Maybe you've seen some things and heard some things about this force. That's not the force and the Holy Spirit. They're not the same. Okay? The Spirit is not an it. The Spirit is a person. We have God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And when the Bible speaks of the Father drawing men unto Jesus, he does so by the power of the Holy Spirit. When the Bible tells us that Christ was raised from the dead, it goes on to tell us that the same power that raised Christ from the dead resides in us. That's mighty power. That is incredible power. I think sometimes about the church and wonder why the church is powerless. When we have all this power that's been given to us by God through the Holy Spirit. We sang this morning, Counselor, Comforter, Keeper. Keeper. Spirit we long to embrace. You see, we see life exhibited in the Holy Spirit. 
power flowing from the Holy Spirit. But let's not get too consumed with the power that we lose the person of the Spirit. Let's not be like Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8. You remember Simon? Remember him? Simon was amazed at what Philip was doing. Philip was preaching and teaching and a spirit came upon the people and and Simon sees this and he's like, whoa, this is so much better than any magic I could do. Here, let me give you some money. That didn't go over so well. He wanted, you see, to, to purchase some of that Holy Spirit power. And friends, you can't buy this power that we're talking about. You can't buy it. You can't bargain for it. You can't find it online. The Spirit is gifted to you when you are born again, when you come into a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. You are gifted with His Spirit. God's love, the Bible says in Romans 5, verse 5, God's love, in fact, is poured out in your heart through the Holy Spirit who is given to you. As I consider what God has to say about the Holy Spirit, I'm fairly certain He wouldn't have us treat Him as as a relic or as a trophy that we keep on the shelf. You know, growing up, I I participated in in a lot of basketball events and collected a few plaques, a few trophies along the way. We moved a few times in our early years. And I remember a few boxes that got moved when we, we moved. My wife, I'm sure, remembers this. They were in the garage. And whenever we'd move, those boxes moved with us. The boxes had some of the trophies and some of the plaques. But they were doing nothing but collecting dust. At one point in the midst of a move, we abandoned the box. We got rid of it. It served no purpose any longer. Listen, the church of Jesus Christ is intended to live in the power of the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit, to pray in the Spirit. Holy Spirit is not to be treated as a trophy where it stays in the box and collects dust. We're called not to grieve the Holy Spirit. We're called not to quench the work and ministry of the Spirit in our lives. The Holy Spirit is given to fill the believer of Jesus with power to walk in newness of life. Or as Paul says it this way in Romans 7, 5 and 6. Romans 7, 5 and 6. He says, for when we were in the flesh, our old manner way of living, and when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we've been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness. Listen to this. So that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. The newness of the Spirit ought to characterize the life of the church. And as I thought about that, I was thinking about just that word, the newness. And I'm a, I'm a big book. I, I like to read books. 
And there's nothing more I enjoy more when I pick up a new book. Those of you who know what I'm talking about. You pick up a new book. And how many of you do this? You get a little whiff of that new page smell. Oh, it doesn't get a whole lot better than that. It's, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing to be able to know you've got a new book. It's, it's a new book and you're opening it up and you're starting to read it. But you know, over time, with much use, that newness begins to wear off, doesn't it? The pages dim a little bit, yellow over time. Corners get dog-eared. How many of you have books that have corners that are dog-eared? Notes, highlights are scattered throughout the book. Sort of like you go to the automobile dealer and you purchase a new car. The new car is nice, but when you drive it out of the lot, it immediately begins to lose its newness. Smells new on the interior for a while, right? It's wonderful. Oh, this is a great vehicle. Oh, love this. But when the miles start racking up, you begin to realize this car isn't what it once was. Listen, the church of Jesus Christ is called to walk in the newness of the Spirit. And here's what I want you to know. Here's some great news about the Holy Spirit. The newness of the Spirit never, ever fades away. He never diminishes. He never wears out. He never fades out. He never gets old. You see, because the Holy Spirit has been given by God and He's been promised by Jesus, He's the everlasting Spirit and He retains His newness at all times. He's God. So what then are the implications of such a Holy Spirit gifted to those who believe? Well, the church ought not be bearing fruit to death. We are a forgiven and cleansed people. We've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Old's gone, new's come. New creations, listen, new creations are empowered and fueled by the newness of the Spirit residing in them. And having believed in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you were, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says, you were sealed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee, he's the down payment, he's the earnest money. When you pay for that house and you put a $500 deposit, that means this is your house. And when God gives you and grants to you and gifts to you the Holy Spirit, he's saying, he is putting down that earnest, that deposit, and he's saying, this one is my child. Inheritance to come. Put it in the books. Sealed with the Holy Spirit. Friends, that ought to bring great security, great comfort. Second Corinthians 1 says, God sealed us and given to us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Chapter 5, verse 5 of 2 Corinthians, God's given to us a spirit, His Spirit as a guarantee of our heavenly inheritance. The Holy Spirit marks you as a child of the king. Romans 8, 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Two verses later, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. 
So the children, as children of God, marked by the Holy Spirit, what evidence is there that our lives are being directed by His Spirit? How can we tell if the Holy Spirit is working in us? How do we know if the Holy Spirit is channeling us a certain direction? I want you to know something this morning, that the Holy Spirit is always going to lead you toward the truth of His Word. If you are feeling led, have you heard that term before? I just feel led. If you're feeling led, if you're feeling called a certain direction, and it's contrary to His Word, you can know that the Spirit is not the one speaking to you, friends. The story is told of the man who, who went to the pastor for some counsel, and in, in the course of their time together and their conversation, he tells the pastor that he feels that the Spirit is calling him away from his current marriage. Really? He feels that the Spirit is leading him this way. And he goes on and tells the pastor, I, I, don't, I don't think God would have me feel unhappy. And for some time now, this marriage has just been wearing. And then he has the audacity to ask the pastor if he would pray for him. What do you think the pastor did? Well, if he had any salt, I think we know what he did. You're telling the truth. That doesn't quite line up here with what God said in his word. See, there's no need to pray about this one. God is clear on what he thinks about marriage. Your feelings about a situation will never supersede what God has already spoken. The spirit of truth is intentional about guiding you toward things of God. He's not catering to your flesh. He's not catering to your pleasures. He's not catering to your happiness. Don't confuse for a moment your feelings about the voice of the spirit and the voice of your flesh. Know that operating in the flesh, you cannot, Romans 8, 8, you cannot please God. Walking in the power of the Spirit brings God glory. One of the practical outworkings of the ministry of God's Spirit is the fruit that's mentioned in Galatians 5. And as we consider what God has to say this morning about the Holy Spirit, I believe the Bible would remind us that the work of the Spirit is visibly evident. Listen, you remember in Acts 6 when the seven men were appointed, they set apart seven men. There was a food distribution problem and they needed to have someone oversee this. And the seven men that were appointed, they were to select, the church was to select seven men who were, who were of good reputation, who were full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Listen, if you're part of a group and you're selecting, here's the criteria. You need to find somebody who's full of the Holy Spirit. How do you know if they're full of the Holy Spirit? Shouldn't it be evident if one is full of the Holy Spirit? How do we select someone who's full of the Holy Spirit? Well, they selected these seven and they were full of the Holy Spirit. Stephen was one of them, wasn't he? He was described as being full of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 provides the list of evidence of a life filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is where I want to end, friends. Turn, in, turn if you will, to Galatians. You know, you know getting the, the identifying markers of who the Holy Spirit is, how the Spirit is working. There's, there's this, the, the, end, the reason I want to end here is because this is, this is really significant in our lives as a follower of Jesus. If we have the Spirit of Christ in us, what I want to tell you this morning is our lives ought to be evidence of the Spirit residing in us. And Galatians 5 is very helpful in this way. It tells us, gives us and draws the distinction between walking in the flesh and walking in the Spirit. 
So here we go in Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to read the first list, which begins verse 19. The works of the flesh are evident. Listen, if the works of the flesh are evident, I want to tell you the works of the Spirit are also evident. God's not going to make the works of the, spirit, the, works of the flesh evident and say the works of the Spirit, oh, those are behind the scenes, Don't nobody see those. Why would he do that? It makes absolutely no sense. No, the works of the flesh are evident. And so are the works of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Works of the flesh are evident. He goes on. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath. Guys, you get angry? Anybody here get angry? Outbursts of wrath? That is characteristic of the flesh. Selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, this is not new information, Paul says, that those who practice such things, those who practice, those who make a habit of these things, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Contrast, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit which is also evident. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us also walk, the idea here, let us, that's plural, let us also walk together, church, In the spirit. That word is a military term for walking in a straight line together. Marching to the same beat. A church walking together in the spirit. Imagine for a moment the body of Christ walking together, connected to the head, walking together in the power of the spirit. And I just want to ask you some questions as we close. Here are the questions. As we walk together, are we growing in love? Are we growing in our joy? Are we exhibiting peace? Does our lives, as we go out of this place, not just here in the building, do our lives show forth that we have peace with God? As we go through trials in our lives, do we show forth the peace of God? Are we growing in our patience with one another? Are we manifesting kindness day to day? Are we on the lookout for showing goodness to those around us? Do we practice operating with a gentle spirit? Does our life reflect a pattern of faithfulness to God? And are we out of control as a pattern? Or do we exhibit and practice self-control as a pattern? You see, God has gifted to us his Holy Spirit that we might abide in him and walk with him, that we might know him, that we might live in him. The Holy Spirit in us will guide us into truth and ignite this newness about our lives that has never been before. The Spirit makes all the difference in the life of a believer in Jesus, charting our course, moving us, moving us, where he wants us to be, that we might serve his purposes here in our days. And so we cry out as a church, Holy Spirit, come. We're saying, fall afresh on us. Turn us from our sins that we might walk with you in power. We ask of the Lord that he would fill us, that he would use us, 
that he would set us in motion for his glory and honor. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word of truth. And thank you for your Holy Spirit. Father, I thank you that it's his desire in us to make us holy, to sanctify us, to set us apart for your good work. Father, I thank you for the arrival of your spirit in Acts 2, the longing and the anticipation and the waiting and the praying, all that happened there leading up to Acts 2. And I thank you, Lord, for what follows in Acts 2 and and following in the book of Acts as a whole. For in the book of Acts, what we see really is an account of, a highlight of the movement of the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray for this church here at Hope in Christ. I pray for your Holy Spirit to move us, to move mightily in us, to move through us. Move us, Lord, I pray. Help us not be like the water that's just sitting there. But help us, Lord, instead to have lives that are lived out like the the rivers of flowing water, living waters welling up within us. Lord, I pray that would be so in each one of us here in this body at Hope in Christ. I pray that our love for you would be great. I pray we would be the the most joy-filled people here on earth because the Spirit is living in us. Help us, Lord, as we have your spirit in us. Help us, Lord, then to speak unashamedly about the things of Jesus. If we consider for just a moment the role and ministry of the Holy Spirit, and we know that he's been gifted to us, when we have this relationship with you through Jesus, we can have great confidence to speak of your name, knowing that you and your word says that you will give us a mouth and a wisdom, and you do that through the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that as we think about the newness what, what you've called us to, to walk in the newness of the Spirit, we would remember that this newness of yours, the newness of your Spirit, it never fades. It never wears out. There's plenty of your Spirit to go around. And so, Father, for that, we're grateful. Thank you for your work in us, and we pray, Lord, that you would fall afresh on us this day. Work in us mightily, that we might experience, Lord, the power and the presence of your Spirit in our lives as individuals, in our lives as married folks, in our lives as young people, boys, girls, young people, in our lives together as a church. Lord, we ask your Spirit to move mightily, that we would get on board with where your Spirit is is moving, that as the wind is blowing, Lord, we would walk and, and get on board with where the Spirit is leading us so that we might be able to see and witness and enjoy, Lord, where you're taking us. We may, we may, we may be a little uh, unsure about things, just as the folks back in Acts chapter 1 were unsure as they were gathered together. But Lord, we're on the other side of Acts 2, and we have your promises here in your word that you've given to us. And I pray that we as a body would stand firmly upon your truth in these days ahead, that we would walk together in the power of the Spirit. May it be so, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.